This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from The Vamps and I, written by Tony Paul de Visage. One night while walking at Savannah Beach, a teenager named Tony Paul had an encounter with three sightseeing vampires. That meeting evolved into this novel, highlighting episodes experienced by Marius, the elder brother. He can't understand why the woman he loves doesn't want to renew their affair. What does it matter if fifty years have passed since they last saw each other? Isn't true love eternal? Valerius, the younger brother, running from an arranged marriage into the arms of a woman he could really love. Problem is, she's human, all right to bite, but not to marry. What's a lovelorn vampire to do? Cousin Timon, who thought marrying the author of the world's most famous vampire series was ironic but fun, until she wrote a novel proving the undead exist. Now the leader of New Orleans' Nosferatu has to do something about that tell-all book. Stop the presses! Join Tony Paul de Visage as he relates these stories of three hapless vampires and how they found love, lost it, found it again, and fought to keep it. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from The Vamps and I. Which Way to Bloody Marsh? The following story may or may not be fiction. Only the names, sometimes the sex, and corporeal state of the characters on this plane of existence have been changed to protect both the innocent and the not-so-innocent. The tourists were gone now, as were the volleyball-playing college kids, the old ladies in garishly flowered moo-moos, and the toddlers in Huggy's little swimmers, their sunbathing moms wearily holding their pudgy fingers. Even the natives were at home having supper. For the moment, with the exception of a few teeners who'd waited until after everyone in the local cops had gone, Savannah Beach was deserted. At the extreme end, where most people never went, Tony Paul trudged along the beach. Even during the day when the expanse of sandy shoreline was crowded with wall-to-wall bodies, no one ever came this far. So the deserted area was where he headed. He was seeking isolation. To be alone. He'd had to wait until Papa and Maman were settled in front of the television telling them he was going to his room to study his homework. How he'd hated that lie. Surely his tongue was going to turn black and break out in sores one of these days if he kept that up. Then he'd scarpered up the stairs and into his room, shutting the door and heading for the open window and the ancient live oak growing just outside it. After that, it was merely a scramble, a dash, and a skid to the beachfront itself. Tony Paul was currently in a state of rebellion against his parents, against school, 
against being a teenager in general. It developed gradually, coming to a head one night recently when he suddenly realized he was never going to be very tall, or very muscular, or have a winning personality. With that sober enlightenment, he locked himself in his room and got down to basics. Stripping and tossing t-shirt and jeans aside, he stood in front of the antique cheval glass, the one stored in his room because Maman had no place else to put it, and took stock. What he saw staring back at him wasn't too impressive, and he once again asked le bon Dieu with plaintive teen angst, why? Why? Why couldn't he have been tall like his uncles who were all over six feet? Even Papa considered the runt of the litter was 5'11". But his son? His only child and heir? At 16, Tony Paul was five feet, four inches tall and 115 pounds, showing no hurry to get any taller or heavier. He'd truly expected to shoot up suddenly, as he'd heard Uncle Samuel had done, but it never happened. At 12, as well as at 16, TP could look Michael J. Fox in the eye, for all the good that would do. The only consolation was that no one laughed at Michael J. Fox, at least not when he was off screen. So TP decided he was going to have to develop those few qualities he had and an attitude as well. His inventory didn't take long, and it wasn't encouraging. Short, not muscular, body almost completely hairless, damn it, and his, well, what was nestled below his navel was nothing but an embarrassment. It appeared to be the size of his baby cousins, and he'd been laughed at more than once in the locker room at school by those overgrown louts calling themselves jocks. Le grand sur muscle stéroïdon pont des bâtards. Or was that just his jealousy talking? He was no good in sports, falling over his own feet when he tried to run. Couldn't throw a ball worth a damn. No way he'd ever get a girl if he had to rely on his athletic prowess. If... By some miracle, he did get one? Better make sure there were no lights on. Ha ha. So, what were the good points? As far as he could see, only three. And maybe, just maybe, if he played his cards right and developed the proper comportment and held his mouth right, four. He had green eyes, a clear, dark, Coke bottle green, even if they were hidden behind lenses as thick as those same bottles. He had naturally curly blonde hair, which had always been the bane of his existence until he realized girls actually liked that tiresome stuff. And for a teenager, his complexion was good, only disfigured by a couple of very small zits that could be mistaken for little moles if the light was right. TP went to work to cultivate what he had. Maman helped by buying him contact lenses for his birthday. He let his hair grow from a crew cut into something long, then longer. The bothersome curls disappeared, replaced by waves, causing l'envie in many of the female students in his classes. 
Suddenly, they started finding excuses to touch it. Surely it was only a matter of time before they went from touching his hair to touching him. He also cultivated an attitude. Talking back, being a smartass, walking with a swagger. Dumped his slacks for distressed jeans. Skipped showers. His walk became a bantam rooster strut. Small, but deadly. TP rapidly became BA, and his bad attitude was a success. Mama and Papa were suitably distressed. Where had their well-mannered petite fils gone? And who was this smart-mouthed delinquant sitting in his place, with that nearly waist-length hair, t-shirt, and ragged jeans? They tried to be understanding. Oui. So damned understanding he wanted to yell at them. He's going through a stage, Paul, Maman would say. And Papa would reply, I know, Warrenay, but how long does it last? Once in a while, Papa would actually lose his temper. Keep that up, young man, and there'll be no college for you. I'll take your Maman on a cruise instead, and you can go down to the pier and hire on one of the shrimp boats to earn your living. Dieu, ce qui j'ai fait pour mériter ceci. Papa was Creole and proud of it. They spoke French at home because of that. It was an affectation, but who cared? T.P. knew his father's threat would never happen. Papa would die if the Duvisages had a shrimp boat deckhand in the family. So he merely smirked and pretended he didn't hear and strutted that much harder. When things got too heated between him and his parents, he'd escape, as he had tonight, to the serenity and solitude of Savannah Beach at dusk. At present, he was slogging through the rim of the surf, jeans rolled up to his knees, feet bare, his Nikes dangling from one hand. The swagger was gone, his stride normal and slow. Now and then he'd stoop and pick up a shell, Sometimes, if it was a fairly well-preserved one, he'd keep it. Generally, he threw them back into the rolling, white-capped water. Shell collecting might not be a totally macho hobby, but T.P. liked it. Looking at seashells gave him an odd peace, for want of a better word. He looked down the beach into the gathering darkness. Just back from the tide line, something was moving. At first, it seemed a large, bulky shadow. Abruptly, it separated, becoming three figures trudging slowly through the sand toward him. One hung back, seemingly playing chicken with the tide. He'd dash in, wait until it surged toward him, then seconds before it touched his feet, he'd dart out of splashing range. Again and again. They were almost to him now looked up, and stopped. Strangers and boys stared at each other. All were tall, all dressed in dark coats like Neos in the Matrix, long skirted with that odd little stand-up collar. The wind came up, blowing inland, whipping straight dark hair about broad shoulders. The one who'd been teasing the surf put up a hand to tuck several strands behind an ear. 
T.P. allowed himself a small smile. In the twilight, the ear looked slightly pointed. Good evening, young sir, the tallest of the three said. By the looks of him, he was the oldest, though they all appeared in their twenties. He had an odd accent, his words carefully enunciated, every syllable spoken clearly. His greeting actually came out as good evening. Hey, the Tony Paul of a year ago would have been polite to these strangers. TP with attitude wouldn't. He made himself speak abruptly. What are you dudes doing out here this time of night? We're tourists, the man went on. Behind him, the other two nodded. Are you a native of this town? We. Oui. Briefly, he slipped back into his pre-attitude self. We? Oui. The surf teaser's head came up, interest in his eyes. They seemed to sparkle in the moonlight. Vous parlez français? How can that be if you are from this savanna bitch? The last word came out more like bitch, and T.P. snickered. The second man glared. T.P. was startled to see what looked like a flash of red sweep through his dark eyes. Say, did your eyes just turn red? No. The man shook his head. It was the light of the setting sun, reflecting. Sure it was. The sun had set a half hour before. Besides, human eyes didn't reflect light. Right. Tony Paul decided he'd better keep his distance until he found out more about these guys. The first man glanced at the second, said a single word, and the other blinked and turned away. Fast. Pardon, my cousin, the third man spoke up, stepping forward. He had the same intonation as the other two. He gets a little, uh, cranky when he's tired. He needs a nap. He shot his cousin a glare that was returned. We should introduce ourselves. Val Andriescu. He held out a very slender, very pale hand. After the slightest hesitation, Tony Paul reached out and shook it. It was ice cold. But then so were his own. The water was chilly tonight, and he'd gotten his hands wet picking up shells. He wondered if Val Andriescu had been shell hunting also. Tony Paul du Visage. This is my brother, Marius, Val indicated the first man who had spoken. Marius didn't offer to shake hands, but simply nodded. And our cousin, Timon. That one nodded also, then said abruptly, hi, and smiled. It was a brilliant smile, friendly, warm, if a bit pointy. Were his eye teeth just a little too elongated? Before TP had a chance to make sure he'd seen what he thought he'd seen, Timon looked away, mouth clamped shut.
We were wondering if you could give us directions to a specific tourist attraction, the third man went on. Sure, glad to help. So all they wanted were directions? What are you looking for? The Davenport House? The Savannah History Museum? None of those. The historic place we wish to see is Bloody Marsh. Bloody Marsh? This time TP didn't mean to laugh. It just happened. You find that amusing? Timon's tone was little short of insulted. He had a right, TP supposed. It wasn't polite to laugh at strangers, though his current persona would naturally do so. These are foreigners, his conscience reminded. Don't be an ugly American. He ignored his better judgment. Man, you're way off course. Bloody Marsh is on St. Simon's Island, near Fort Frederica, not at Savannah. Ah. Marius looked thoughtful. Val looked perturbed. Timon simply looked. That will be a little far for us to travel tonight. Could you perhaps answer a couple of questions about it for us? Certainement. At the same time, TP decided to satisfy his own curiosity about something. Say, where are you folks from, anyway? We're from Transylvania. Marius looked around at the others. Val and Timon nodded, and he turned back to TP. Transylvania? You mean the one in Kentucky? Uh, yes, that's right. He appeared surprised TP might know of it. Transylvania University in, uh, Lexington, Kentucky. So you're college professors? That is correct. Right, and if that's so, I'm an astronaut. TP couldn't envision any of the three lecturing to a room full of somnolent students. With accents like that, they're more apt to be spies than teachers. Or Russian mafia, maybe? Aloud, the boy asked, what would you like to know? The guidebook says. Here, Timon reached inside his coat and produced a well-worn paperback from the back pocket of his leather jeans. Leather? He consulted a page. The marshes ran red with blood. Probably did, T.P. agreed. So what's your question? Where did the blood go? The words came out in an eager rush. Did they use buckets to take it away? Did it soak in? Does it float to the surface on warm nights? T.P. laughed. Again. Timon stiffened. Even Marius and Val looked a little angry now. The boy thought he heard a triple chorus of hisses. Sorry, it's just that, man, there's no blood. It's called Bloody Marsh because so many people got killed there. Nearly 500 English and Spanish, I think. As for any blood that was spilled, yes? The word came out a little too eagerly in a chorus from all three. I imagine it was washed out to sea. It certainly isn't there now. Why, that was almost 300 years ago. A mere flick in time, my young friend, 
Marius snapped his fingers. You mean there's nothing there? Timon appeared disappointed. More than disappointed. Distraught. Nothing? Nothing but sand and marsh grass. At his woebegone expression, TP felt forced to add, sorry. Damn it! Timon struck a fist in the air. He turned on his cousin. I told you it was too good to be true. What are we going to do now? Tim, calm down. Calm down? Those quiet words infuriated him more. All right for you to say. You've got better fortitude than I. Damn it, I'm thirsty. Hey, mister, don't get your knickers in a twist, TP put in. It's nothing to get so upset about. Ah. Timon seemed to inhale forever. He whirled away, muttering something under his breath. It sounded like humans give them opposable thumbs and they think they own the world. But TP couldn't be certain. If you're so darn thirsty, he went on helpfully. There's a Coke machine at the information station near the beach entrance. I don't think so. Suddenly, Timon was standing in front of him. How'd he gotten so close so fast? I've got some other liquid in mind. They also have Sprite and Fanta Orange, Tony Paul went on. His voice trailed away as Timon put a hand on his shoulder. You know, you're certainly a lively lad. So young and healthy. Timon's voice dropped to a sibilant whisper. The words, spoken in that odd accent, sounded like an accusation. Practically oozing with vitality. My maman would agree with you. Tony Paul shook his head. Why do I feel sleepy all of a sudden? He stifled a yawn. She says I have enough energy for two people. Would you be interested in sharing some of that energy? Timon was standing very close now, his dark eyes glowing. Yes, they were glowing. Oh, shit. For the first time since they'd appeared, Tony Paul felt a chill of fear. Stupidly belated, but there it was, nevertheless. He shivered slightly, and that brought him out of his lethargy. You know, he took a step backward, sliding from under the hand tightening on his shoulder. My maman told me never to talk to strangers, and I think I'd better do just that, right now. He spun, spraying sand as his muscles tightened to dash away. Not so fast, you. Someone caught him around the waist, lifting him off his feet. Tony Paul kicked, uselessly. Something hot and pointed touched the back of his neck. Everything went dark. Oh. Someone was groaning, in the dark. It took Tony Paul several moments to realize he was the one making the noise and it was dark because he had his eyes squeezed shut. Wherever he was, it was very quiet. 
Perhaps the three strangers weren't around? He was lying on something. Carefully, he moved a finger, brushing it back and forth. Not sand, so he wasn't on the beach. Not grass, so he wasn't in his front yard. It felt more like... Velvet? Yeah, right. I'm stretched out on someone's Victorian velvet settee. Very cautiously, he opened one eye, then the other. Glanced down at the piece of furniture under him. His guess was close, but no cigar. He was lying on a fainting couch. Appropriate in a way, since he'd very obviously fainted. Or did I? I seem to remember something very sharp hitting my neck just before. He remembered. The beach. The three strangers. That one named Timon getting so pissed off about Bloody Marsh. He sat up, looking around. Holy shit, where am I? The room looked like a museum piece. A bedchamber, complete with canopy bed, heavy draperies, a fireplace, no fire, thank goodness, and the aforementioned couch. Am I imagining this? Did I fall through a time warp into some other century? That's stupid. Maybe I'm still unconscious, lying on the beach and dreaming this. Yeah, that's it, and enough thinking. There's no one around. I'd better get my little ass out of here. Staggering to his feet, he took a step toward the door. That's as far as he got. The air before the door wavered, rippling the way the Romulan warbirds did when they activated their cloaking device on Star Trek and then the three strangers appeared in the still whirling air. They stared at T.P. He stared back. Then he made a dash for the bed, getting it between himself and them. Well, said the older of the three. What had he said his name was? Marius? I see you're awake, and apparently none the worse for wear. Back, foul fiend! T.P. crossed one forefinger over the other, holding his hands in front of him. What the hell are you doing? The one called Val demanded, jumping back with a hiss. He put a hand over his eyes. Timon reached out, knocking T.P.'s hands apart. That won't help you, he snarled. We're Jewish. Don't believe him, Val recovered, leaning forward to whisper earnestly. We're Russian Orthodox, really. Back, foul fiend. Marius started laughing when T.P. spoke, and now got himself under control. I haven't heard that phrase in at least a century. Where'd you dig up that? Uh, I heard it in a Dracula movie on TV the other night. T.P. was a little disappointed at their reaction. Dracula. Marius looked disgruntled. The best example of bad press, if ever there was. He should have sued his publicist. If you're through dissing Dracula, would you tell me wh where am I? Wavered T.P. What have you done to me? Marius scowled. Done to you? They looked at each other and back at him. Nothing. Don't lie. 
I know what you are. Exactly. Okay. Timon walked over to the fainting couch and slouched on it, legs crossed, hands behind his head. I'll bite. He looked as if he'd like to do just that. What are we? Exactly. Yeah, you're vampires. But, he laughed, displaying those overlong eye teeth. You've got the sense of humor, kid. I'll give you that. We're not the vampires, Val began. Don't lie. You, you bit me. TP looked wildly from Val to Timon, his bad attitude rapidly disintegrating. Am I your thrall now? Thrall? Timon frowned. I don't, what's this thrall business? You know, your servant, forced to do your bidding, hobble around saying, yes, master, and no, master. Carry your coffin from place to place. Please say I don't have to eat spiders and flies. TP paused. All three were staring at him as if he were raving, which he supposed he was. Why am I explaining this to you? You're the vampires. Don't you know this stuff? I'm afraid we're not exactly what you'd call uh, up on America's fascination with vampires. Marius sounded very apologetic. You can relax, Val told TP. You haven't been bitten, and you're no one's uh, thrall. You, you mean he didn't? Listen, kid, if I was going to bite somebody, it wouldn't be a skinny little bone bag like you, Timon interrupted. She'd be much more grown up, and she wouldn't be male. He gave a sudden shudder, leaning back against the couch. So I'm all right? As right as a human can be, I imagine. And be a teenager, too. Marius replied. So why? Look, I got carried away, okay? Timon spoke up again. I was tired, hungry, and disappointed about that bloody marsh fiasco, and you were being a smartass. I'm still hungry, by the way. You wouldn't happen to have a rare steak or a couple of hamburger patties on you, would you? Sorry. T.P. made a big show of patting his jeans pocket, one of which was bulging slightly. He reached into the pocket and pulled out a large, round orange. All I've got is this. What's that? It's a blood orange. I was saving it to eat later. Blood? Give me that! Timon snatched it from his hand. While T.P. watched in amazement, he sank all four canines into the orange's skin, inhaled three times, and handed it back to the boy. Thanks, that hit the spot. TP took what was left of the orange, a wrinkled, completely dry husk. Slowly, he stuffed it back into his pocket. Well, if that's all you need, I'll be going now. Bye, he began inching toward the door. Not so fast. Marius held up a hand. TP froze. The hand brushed across his forehead. It was so cold, he'd have sworn someone had pressed an ice pack against his skin. T.P. shivered. 
The hand withdrew. Just wanted to make certain you don't have a fever. We want to send you back in as good a shape as we found you. We'd be doing him a favor if we could send him back in better shape than we found him, Timon snorted. Send me back? Where are we, anyway? Some furniture store. It was the closest that had a place you could lie down. Val shrugged. This display reminds me of home. He looked around. Isn't this neat furniture? So I can go? Just like that? All three nodded. I can walk out of here. And you won't stop me? They exchanged glances. Walking out of here might be a little difficult, Mario said. I mean, we didn't have a key to get in here, but it was the closest place. You might say we kind of floated you in, Val twiddled his fingers in the air. On the ocean breeze, there was an open window in the back. What am I supposed to do? Wait here for the store to open in the morning? That wouldn't be good. Not if it meant Papa and Maman discovered he'd been out all night. That might be a little embarrassing. Especially when you try to explain how you got in. But if you tell them, Tony Paul, may I call you that? It's my name. I guess so. TP shrugged. Tony Paul. What makes you think we're going to be here when the store opens? Marius's voice was gentle, as if he was speaking to a very young, very stupid child. In the morning. In the daylight. T.P. thought about that. Uh, I see what you mean. I'm stuck, huh? Not necessarily. Val spoke up. I've been thinking. Unspeakable name. Protect us. Timon snickered. Valerius has been thinking again. Shut up, you. It's my considered opinion you don't think enough. Timon made an acquiescing gesture. So tell us, cousin. What are your oh-so-enlightening thoughts? This boy. So? Marius looked at T.P. He isn't afraid of us. Val turned on T.P. so quickly the boy jumped. Are you? Well, should I lie or tell the truth? He was, and he wasn't. No. Not much, anyway. And that gives me a great idea. I can't wait to hear this. Timon still looked skeptical. Sit down, boy. Val pushed TP onto the couch beside Timon, who slid over to make room. I'm going to tell you something. But don't get frightened and make a liar of me. Do you promise? Not until I know what you're going to say. A little late to be cautious, but there it was. Fair enough. Just this. Yes, Tony Paul. We 
are vampires. TP lunged from the couch. Val's hand on his shoulder pushed him back again. To quote Douglas Adams, don't panic. In the first place, we're not the quote, foul fiends, unquote, you think we are. No. He put as much disbelief as he could into that one word. No. In fact, when you get to know us, we're just regular garden variety bloodsuckers and- Catch him, Timon, he's about to faint. They had his head down and his feet up in two seconds. Are you all right? Timon actually sounded worried. He dug into the capacious pocket of his coat, bringing out a can of Mountain Dew. Here, I got this out of that drink machine you were talking about, but I think you need it more than I do. Your blood sugar must be low. He managed to lick his lips a little as he said it. You'll need some fructose. TP took the can, popped the top, and slugged down a third of the soda in one gulp, coughing a little as the carbonation burned the back of his throat. Back to what I was saying. Thou was all business now. Remember what you told me earlier, Marius, about meeting a friendly stranger? Marius nodded and for the first time looked as if he understood what Val was getting at. It's as we told you earlier, T.P. We really are teachers at Transylvania University. I've even got tenure. We're just average vamps trying to make a living and get along, and it really grieves us when some little snot pipes up and says something like that, Back, foul fiend crap you were spouting a little earlier, so. Look, I'm sorry about that, but... T.P. was apologetic, though he didn't like being called a little snot. His bad attitude was now practically non-existent. Let's just forget it, okay? T.P. was glad to. So I'm thinking we need some favorable publicity to tell humans about our good sides, our foibles and failures, as it were, and how we're just working-class vampires, like they are, without the vampire part, that is. Show how sometimes we're the good guys. How'd you like to become the Andriescu family scribe? Scribe? T.P. thought about that for exactly three seconds. I appreciate the offer, but you see, I'm only 16, and I haven't finished high school yet, and Papa and Mama want me to go to college, and I don't think they'd take too kindly to me quitting school and becoming a writer. Who said anything about your quitting school? Sorry, I thought you did. An education is absolutely necessary in today's world, especially for a writer. And the more, the better, Marius explained. What the Val means is, when you get to college, if you agree to study English and journalism and whatever else will assist you in becoming a writer, we'll pay your way. What? The yelp came from Timon, of course. Marius, are you serious? 
Quiet, Timon. It was the tone Marius might have used on a belligerent student. Damn it, there goes my trip back to the old country I was planning for next summer. Timon flung himself back onto the couch, arms crossed, fuming slightly. At least TP decided that's what the wispy cloud floating around him meant. What do you say? Marius asked. He looked anxious. To TP, it sounded great. He'd always loved to write. Actually penned a few stories for which his English teacher gave him an A. In fact, he was more than ready to tell Marius yes. But still cautious, he said. You'd have to talk to my parents. I mean, I'm a minor and all. Legally, I'm not competent enough to agree to anything. So, we talk to your parents. Marius looked agreeable. Where are they? Probably at home, watching TV. Do me a favor. Marius placed a hand on TP's shoulder. Think about them. TP pictured his home in his mind's eye. As he did, he began to feel very sleepy, just as he had on the beach. He looked around, saw the three tall figures wavering slightly. He began to blink, closed his eyes, and... Antoine! Maman's cry made him jerk upright. Ma bébé! She and Papa were hugging him and crying and kissing him and doing all that embarrassing parent-type stuff, in front of his new friends, too. That went on for two minutes before Papa took a step back, raised a hand, and swatted T.P. across his butt. Hard. What do you mean, sneaking out like that? Do you know how worried your mamma and I were when we discovered you gone? Homework, huh? I'm afraid that was our fault. Monsieur de Visage, Marius said smoothly. Papa turned his attention to him. You're the reason my son left his bedroom by climbing down a tree at 10 o'clock at night? Yes, and I apologize. You see, we... About then, T.P. quit listening. Maman was still hugging him and smoothing his hair, which had somehow come out of its rubber band and was hanging in his face and Papa was distracted by whatever Marius was saying. He closed his eyes. He really was quite sleepy, and the vampire's words became nothing but a long, low mumble. A droning, blending with the chirps of crickets in the shrubbery, and the faraway moan of the wind on the beach, and the crashing of the waves. And that's what we'd like to do. With your permission of course. T.P. opened his eyes at that, suddenly shaken out of his doze. What had Mario said? He'd missed the entire explanation. More importantly, what was Papa going to say? Let me get this straight. You want to pay my son's college tuition because he was polite to you? What's the catch? No catch, monsieur. Papa preened a little at that title. In keeping with his Creole heritage, he never really liked being called Mr. As you may have guessed, we're foreigners. And in all our travels, we've often not been received very nicely. 
we are also independently wealthy. So when we started out on this little vacation, we made ourselves a promise. The first person we met who was helpful and considerate and didn't treat us differently because we aren't native citizens, we were going to do something nice for him. So? Hmm. Papa looked thoughtful. If you pay TP's tuition, that would leave us with the very tidy sum in our bank account. We could. He looked at Maman. We could make a visit to France and go on that cruise you always wanted, while Renee. He looked at TP and back at Marius again. Oui. Merci, Monsieur Andriescu. In my son's name, I accept. And that's how it happened. TP returned to school the following Monday, raring to learn and eager to try a few tips Timon had given him concerning females. A few days later, he started going steady with a member of the cheerleading squad. He graduated from high school. He attended college. He met more girls along the way and dazzled them with the words, I'm a writer, and found that phrase opened many a bedroom door. And it didn't matter that he was still five foot four. When they were lying down, Height didn't matter anyway. He got his degree. He began to write. And one day, that first story about his patrons was published. And the day it saw print, he got a small box in the mail. Opening it, he was surprised to find an orange inside. A blood orange. And a note. Thank you, Tony Paul. Keep up the good work. Here's some fruit juice to hold your blood sugar at a creative level. It was signed with a single initial. T. So that was the night and the way we met. The Andreescu's didn't stay at Transylvania University, however, tenure or not. Eventually, they drifted to that wonderful city where a good many of their kind, as well as others of the supernatural ilk, had already found refuge. The Crescent City. The city that care forgot. Nolans. Nola. The Big Easy. That's right. New Orleans. They settled there, and there they've stayed to this day, living that city's motto as best they can amid their delights, their sorrows, and their triumphs. Read on and enjoy their stories. Laissez les bons temps rouler. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from The Vamps and I. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.